what I would say is to make a list, get out a piece of paper and a pen, you know, good old fashioned, don't use the computer, actually get out a piece of paper. And I would say to write down the worst case scenario. Greetings for the day, folks. I'm Karthike from Chandra Khatur, and I'm extremely delighted to welcome you all to the third episode of the Right Now podcast. Well, they said you can't travel overseas unless the pandemic settles. But guess what? Our podcast did. Today, we have an extremely special guest with us. Someone who calls herself an accidental entrepreneur and yet has once featured in Forbes 30 under 30 and also in a Shark Tank episode. Yes, our guest for today is none other than Kim Kao, CEO and co-founder of the Superfan Company based out of New York. So without further ado, let's head to the conversation along with our co-host for today, Abhmanyu Gupta. We've been reading and I guess there's a lot going on there. I mean, uh, apart from the COVID situation also, there's a lot of stuff going on. How are you coping up? Good. It's a, it's a, it's a conversation that needed to be had. So I'm excited that we're kind of digging in and asking the big questions and doing the work. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, all good here. Okay, that's great. That's great. So honestly, Kim, about uh, two or three days back when you finally accepted to our uh, request, we shared it with a few of our listeners and friends out here who watch a lot of uh, Shark Tank shows. And we told them that uh, we're going to have someone who has featured in one of the Shark Tank episodes and they just won't believe us, right? So we wanted them to hear it from you. Yeah, Shark Tank was uh, an amazing experience and it was really fun. And it was interesting because on the show, it looks like we went through with a deal with Robert and Lori. That's sort of how the episode ends. But in real life, we didn't go through with the deal. Uh, we decided to just remain friends with them okay. and you know do some work together, but not actually be in business with one another. But the entire Shark Tank show has been amazing. I've had a lot of friends who've also been on the show. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like a sort of tight-knit uh, little community or, or people that have gone through the experience as well. Uh -huh. So what is the super fan company all about? Like briefly, what are the operations, the main operations that you've been into lately? The super fan company focuses on fan engagement. So how do we make the fans that already love a music artist, a music festival, a sport team, a live event, how do we make them love that even more? So that is what we are focused on. About 70% of our business is in music mm -hmm. and that can be individual groups, that can be large music festivals, or, and the other 30% can be anything else that has a super fan base. So we work with Comic-Con, we work with Oprah, and what we do for them and their fans is create products, tangible products that people can purchase or buy or that come with a package or a ticket that they are getting to something. That's great. It really sounds intriguing. But what I'm really curious to know right now is that have you been doing all of this right from the beginning 
or is it that um, it has been a mix of developments and growth over the years maybe you know adapting to changing times and learning from your failures and experience it's definitely something that has adapted i think for most companies you are not going to stay the same from year to year lots of things are changing all the time when mm-hmm. we started the company in january 2011 Right. You know, there was no such thing as Instagram. There was no such thing mm-hmm. as TikTok or Snapchat or Spotify, you know. When we started the company, we were still downloading iTunes uh-huh. music. <laughs> That's right. And That's right. we were, you know, just using Twitter. So, obviously in 9 years we've seen a lot of change. So, I always tell companies that you know have an idea that uh, at the heart of it is true so for us at the heart of it is we're going to make awesome products for super fans but what that looks like over the course of 9 years has changed many many times right. so you know another example of that that i like to give is disney you know mm-hmm. disney's main message is that they deliver happiness and whether they deliver happiness through movies whether they deliver happiness through their theme parks whether they deliver happiness through their products you know their their core is the same but how they do stuff is very different so i think now for entrepreneurs it's figure out what that core thing is for you right. and just know that over the years it's okay to keep changing and keep getting better and keep developing that's true in fact i'm sort of reminded of a of a statistic that i came across in one of clay christensen's book that i was reading last week uh, it said that about 93% of the businesses that end up becoming successful are the ones who do not pursue their original strategies right it almost in 93% of the cases it changes karthik i completely agree with the anecdote you just uh, parallel across Okay, we see a lot of new businesses and the existing ones transitioning faster than ever, given this pandemic. I mean, the underscoring, the underlying factor being this huge inflection point, right? Even for for instance, just take your company, which is super fan company. We see a bunch of new fan engagement activities. Uh, the sale of merchandise, the stationery, which is the work from home culture, which is picked up, right? We are pretty much sure that the new customer preferences are going to change going forward. So, what would be your strategy or your tip for the whole ecosystem, so that people can really mark to market their products and services and reshape their businesses going forward? I think my biggest piece of advice for founders right now and for small business owners right now is to just be as adaptable as possible. So. exactly what you said there's going to be a lot of changes there's going to be a lot of regulatory changes that happen there's going to be a lot of consumer behaviors that change and so i would just say as much as possible be able to adapt be able to try new things to you know zig instead of zag and you know very quickly know that you might have to change So if somebody said right now I'm thinking about putting a big investment into this I don't know certain type of machine or I'm going to make a big investment to build out this thing I would say wait wait you know let the let the dust settle for now I would say see what you can get away with that's really small 
you know, very small changes that you can do and small ways that you can adapt because we don't know what consumer behavior is going to look like in six months. We don't know what it's going to look like in a year. So I would just say as much as possible, stay flexible. And I know that's hard because a lot of people like consistency. You know, a lot of people like knowing that this is what I'm going to do this month, next month, the next month. So it's hard, but as much as you can, I would say embrace the fact that things are going to change and embrace the fact that you're going to have to continue to stay flexible. So those are really some interesting tips and strategies from your end. Uh, just a follow up question from there. Uh, before getting all in on a particular idea, before changing, diversifying business plans, how do you really gauge the feasibility or a viability of an idea? I would say to, for what we do is if we're thinking about a new idea, we try to test it on a smaller scale. So we try to say, how do we do this uh, small and give it like a little test run almost? There have been projects or things that we've worked on that we've done totally for free. Totally for free because we say, we want this as an example. And so we're not gonna charge you anything. Or, you know, you're not gonna have to pay anything. We just wanna see if we can even do it, if it's even possible for us. And so we do a lot of that. And I think for myself as a leader and as a founder, what I've tried to do a lot during this time, although I do it, but I'm trying to do it even more, is I think what we're really going to get into is the knowledge business. I think that a lot of people right now, you know, knowledge is power. Though, you know, if you see something that works for somebody else, jump on that. And if you see something that doesn't work, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel yourself. There's lots of people that are trying lots of different things. And so I have been trying to make a point to listen to podcasts, you know, like this one, that's a great start. Uh, following people on Instagram or following people on LinkedIn, you know, following other founders, seeing what they're doing. And so I think that is really helpful right now because you don't have to try everything yourself. If you own a bakery and you see that another bakery is doing something that's very successful, you can say, oh, you know, I'll just try to do what they're doing because they've already done it and they've already found success. So I would say in addition to you trying new things and you know trying to make things better and iterate, make sure you're watching and seeing what other people are doing as well because somebody else might land on an idea that works and you can just copy, copy what they're doing. And I would say that, you know, I think sometimes with founders and entrepreneurs, once they found an idea that, that works, they sort of sit back and, ah, oh, the bakery is successful, or ah, oh, the podcast is successful, ah, oh, the app is you know successful. And I think the really good entrepreneurs, they don't uh, sit back. They never, even if their bakery is doing well, even if their podcast is doing well, you know, they're listening to other podcasts. They're hearing what other podcasts are doing because even though your podcast is amazing right now, you want to continue 
you know, to have it be amazing and you want to continue to hear inspiration from other people and hearing about what works for them. So I think uh, it's not something that you just do for a little bit. It's something you do forever. Exactly what you said, Kim, that I think time is best if you have that capital with you right now to sit back and watch very closely as to what are the innovative and nice ideas out there and you can simply pounce at the right time. Kim, now, I mean, we've learned a lot about your company and we've also done our own research on your company and what it does. And uh, to think about it in the Indian landscape, uh, you can see super fans all out here. Right, and we are fans of Bollywood actors, film stars, and then we are fans of athletes here, Sachin Tendulkar, you must have heard his name, and even of international athletes. I mean, for myself, I'm a huge fan of Stephen Curry, but I cannot think of a company here that is doing something for these super fans. And on that note, what is your view about the Indian landscape? I mean, are you sort of planning to maybe expand here some sometime in the future with the same business model to capture these super fans? We've definitely thought about expanding into other territories and internationally. We haven't yet, right. uh, but we've definitely thought about it. I think what is really needed if you're going to do that my personal opinion is that you really need people that are there you know you can't i think it's really hard if you want to do something in the uk mm-hmm. um and then you're trying to affect things in china you know i really think that you need to have people that are on the ground that are there day to day that are living the culture that are are there because it it just gives a different atmosphere a different mm-hmm. feel yeah. so i think for me that has been one of the biggest things holding us back but there are other entrepreneurs that i know that they expand globally you know and they live right here in the us so i think it's just different approaches right. and so hopefully we will at some point i would love to uh-huh. see that happen um, yeah. but we haven't done it quite yet you know the culture point that you mentioned it really reminds me of what happened with uber eats here you must be having uber eats there too right and the same company it expanded here but it simply could not adapt to the consumer preferences and behavior out here and which is why it had to ultimately sell its sell its company off to its competitor which was born here and which was bred with the indian consumer preference Exactly. I think it's really hard because I think the the local, you know, in that right. case, the local uh-huh. competitor mm-hmm. knows the market and knows, you know, the legislation and knows how to, you know, make things work. And I think that's it's very difficult to come at it from the outside. So just across those lines itself, there are a lot of entrepreneurs in India, unicorns and unicorns in every domain, right? So the question out here is like you must have heard about the Oyo Rooms business model. So the founder Ritesh Agarwal, he started from India, and then he expanded it to different countries. But then it was not a really big success for him in Europe and US as well. Tried to get into shared space as well. We just want to get an idea from you. What would be a challenge from an Indian entrepreneur specifically to enter into spaces like Texas, California, the Silicon Valley, New York? I would say just this is my own sort of sort of opinion. I think expanding anything um, 
in the service area is much harder. So to your point of Uber Eats, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that that's very hard because different countries have different regulations, different taxes, Mm -hmm. uh, different rules about how you can operate. So I think service is hard. I would say, so that's difficult. I would say any sort of physical good obviously is also difficult because you're dealing with import taxes, you're dealing with import regulations. So I'd say that's also difficult. I think the easiest right now is any sort of technology. We've obviously seen the rise of TikTok. So, you know, that is something that you can be here and download. You can be in London and download. You can be in Calcutta and download. And I think, I I would say technology right now, anything that's downloadable is going to be the easiest because you don't have to worry about regulations. You don't have to worry about shipping. You don't have to worry. And that's not to say that those businesses can't succeed. Obviously they succeed and and they do every day. Mm -hmm. But when you look at um, technology plays, you know, Sovin, you know, you know, one of Spotify's biggest competitors. Uh, I have a friend that started that company, Rishi. And, you know, Rishi is amazing. And so he had always said, the person that makes it the easiest is going to win. And it is so easy to download an app. It's so easy to download a streaming service that the easier you can make it for people, the more that they're going to do it because there's a very low barrier to entry. I think it's more about the last mile reach, right? So probably shipping, you have to actually go talk to FedEx, have overseas shipping and everything get done, right? You have to deal with customs and that gets backed up and customer service this is wrong or I want to return it or it's not the right size. I mean, nightmare. <laughs> right. It's a huge list out there. Right. right. So just on a lighter note, right? So I was just wondering, we are vivid followers of VH1 and we probably going to some of concerts, listening to band music and all that. So it's been a tough time for us as well to just restrain ourselves from not booking tickets and going live, right? So, uh, just wondering that what is your take and probably what can and how would the next summer concert shape? How would the, uh, how would it happen and how would the next Bruno Mars come on stage? What's your take on that? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. You know, it's yeah. a big question. A lot of people, a lot of smart people, a lot of big companies are all trying to figure that out right now. Exactly what you said. What does that look like? Does it look like you know at big arenas only half of the arena is filled Mm -hmm. does it look like artists are you know 20 feet from people when they perform what does that look like and also i think at the same time you know everyone is trying to study this outbreak as much as possible you know is it easy to get again if you've already had it are you sort of safe and and you could go to a big bruno mars concert and be fine or is this something you can get a second time and a third time and a fourth time so i think in addition to everybody trying to figure out how live events can come back they're also trying to figure out how to deal with the pandemic so it's going to be really interesting i think we won't see any large scale music events happen until 2021 
Mm-hmm. I don't see any big tours going on in 2020. I don't see any big festivals taking place in 2020. I think that everyone would rather be safe than mm-hmm. sorry. I don't think anybody wants to have a big gathering of 20,000 people. And even if one person died, I mean, that would be terrible. Right. So I think everyone's being really cautious that, you know, let's just wait until next year until we know more information. Yeah, that's of course the thing. Uh, we would also seriously miss all those games and all those concerts, of course, in India as well. I miss them so much. I miss them so much. I wish they would come back. I think I think what we're going to find right now is the entertainment, whether it's singers or comedians or whatnot, that's all gonna be discovered on TikTok, on Instagram, because people have more time now. And I also think local will come back in a big way. I know for here in the US, a lot of people are going to see their local band at a bar or, you know, just a guy with a guitar who's playing music because you'd rather hear a guy with a guitar playing music than no music at all. Even sports, you know, local soccer games. And, you know, I think the stuff that locally you might say, oh, I don't want to go and watch that. You know, I'd much rather watch, you know, the bigger teams play, you know, Chelsea or whatnot. I think people are going to go, no, I'd rather go to a small game than go to no game at all. Along the same lines, right? So, uh, pretty interesting things. I was just uh, watching television last night and uh, I saw some uh, Bundesliga game which is on. I mean, they are going on with live action. The interesting part was they had, so the first few stands, the first few layers of the stands, they had put artificial uh, spectators there. Right. right? right, right. That was interesting. Uh, that too. Also, when I see it on the TV, I can hear that who sound. So, they're actually bringing the <laughs> I'm not exactly sure if it's the stadium or the broadcaster is doing that, but that's uh-huh. really interesting and fascinating. So, just switching gears, right? So, we uh, it's been a lot of pandemic, 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 but we didn't want it to really bring it up because uh, it's been overload and uh, uh-huh. uh, switching gears to this one very interesting thing which is happening uh, behind the curtains, which is uh, there's a huge upsurge in something known as gig economy, right? And we can also place it as digital nomads or probably contractual workers. So they are preferring working individually and have their own venture. So do you see this as a pivotal point where people can really realize their own potential, build a community of people, smart, talented people, and perhaps start a venture? I think people are seeing a huge surge in remote workers. I think they're seeing that there's huge advantages to remote workers globally. You know, I think there were websites like Upwork and Fiverr, and you can be anywhere in the world and be on these platforms. So if I'm looking at someone to edit a video, or if I'm looking at someone to Photoshop a photo, that person doesn't have to be in Texas. That person can be in France. That person can be in Australia. You know, if I just need a photo fixed, it doesn't matter where that person is. So I think that as an entrepreneur, it's a big advantage because I think before, if you were an entrepreneur, you were really limited by the resources and the talent and the people that were in your geographic area. And I have a handful of friends that their entire team is remote 
and they have members of their team that they've never even met ever because they just put something on LinkedIn or like I said, Upwork or Fiverr or LinkedIn jobs and said, you know, hey, looking for someone to, you know, whatever, insert job description here. And a person answered and was like, I can do that. And I live in Iceland and I can do all those things and I'm super qualified. And they were like, great. You can edit my videos from Iceland or you can, you know, program my website code from Iceland. Great. And so I think that that's a huge advantage for entrepreneurs right now. And I think it's also a huge advantage because when you're first, first, first starting out, it can be really scary to spend a lot of money. And when you hire your first employee, it's a lot of money and you're responsible for their paycheck every week and you're responsible for taking care of them. And so I think the gig economy and freelancers and sort of project-based work is a really useful tool for entrepreneurs who can sort of dip their toes into the water or just slowly sort of try to say, okay, maybe I'll just pay somebody for the next two weeks and we'll kind of see how that goes. And hopefully it gets to the point where you're using somebody so often, so frequently that after a while you're like, you know what? I can afford to hire this person full-time. They, they can come full-time, but it allows you to kind of try it, try it in small steps first. Exactly, yeah. I think it also contributes in a large way to young entrepreneurs who have a unique idea and they just want to test the waters. Kim, I think um, it's been wonderful to have you here. And before you be let you go, just as a departing note, we would love to hear it from you as a piece of advice to young enthusiasts out there who, like I said, that there are a lot of people who have a billion dollar idea, but they're just too afraid to take the leap. So what would be your piece of advice to these people? My best piece of advice to people who might be scared to take the leap is they're scared probably because they have lots of reasons of why they shouldn't do it. You know, I have bills to pay or I'm too old or I'm too young or, you know, just all these excuses. So what I would say is to make a list, get out a piece of paper and a pen, you know, good old fashioned, don't use the computer, actually get out a piece of paper. And I would say to write down the worst case scenario, worst, like the worst thing that's gonna happen. So I'll use myself as an example. When I started the company, I was 25 years old. So I sat down with a piece of paper and said, okay, what is the worst case that's gonna happen to me? So I was 25, living in New York City, working at a corporate job, and I took out that pen and I wrote down, okay, the worst thing is number one, I run out of money. Okay, I run out of money, I don't have money. Okay, then what happens? Well, if I run out of money, I can't pay my rent. And if I can't pay my rent, then what happens? Okay, well, I'm lucky enough that my mom uh, you know, has a couch and she will let me sleep on it. So, okay, I will have to leave New York City and go back home to Florida and I will have to live on my mom's couch. And, you know, for me, I was lucky because I was 25 years old. So, you know, I didn't have like kids to worry about. I didn't have a spouse. I didn't own a home. 
So I didn't need to worry about home payments. I didn't have a car, so I didn't need to worry about car payments. And I had a scholarship for university, so I didn't have to worry about university payments. And so for me, I just took the worst case scenario and said, how do I get okay with the worst case scenario? And if I'm okay living on my mom's couch in Florida, looking for a job at Starbucks or McDonald's, then I'm okay with that. So I tell people, you know, play out what the worst case scenario is. And if the worst case is really bad, you know, obviously things like, I can't feed my kids. I would say use that as an opportunity to say, how can I prevent that from happening? You know, for me, I saved up three months worth of money before I started the business. Mm -hmm. But if you have kids and, you know, a spouse and all that stuff, maybe you save six months. You know, maybe you need a longer period of time. So I would say to really look at your own personal worst case scenario, figure out how you can prepare. I mean, you guys, it sounds like you're very good at preparing. You're like, I have a backup hotspot, a second hotspot <laughs> of this. You know, if you're very entrepreneurial, if plan A doesn't work, you have a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, a plan right. E. So I would say, look at the worst case scenario, figure out how to fix all the things that might be stopping you and then you'll be much more confident about starting because you'll say okay the worst thing that can happen to me isn't actually that bad mm -hmm. so it's a way to kind of confront your confront your fears right i think it's almost always uh, on our heads and then when we finally jot it down we realize that yes it's not as bad as we think it is Right, and um, after listening to you, I think I'm gonna make my own list today, and oh, start writing them yes. from today time. <laughs> it's powerful when you write it down. I think when it's in your head, yep, you yep. sort of create these stories and create these situations. And when you write it down, you're kind of like, okay, you know, I can save more money. I can you know, partner with someone, you know, there's ways that you, once it's written down, you can kind of look at it from a third party perspective. Right, right, right. So I think, uh, Kim, the conversation has been really fantastic. Uh, really thankful for your time. And we understand it's really early morning in the US right now there. Uh -huh. So really sorry for engaging you right there in the morning. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a morning person and I so really appreciate what you're doing and I think it's so helpful and like I said before I think knowledge is going to be the new currency I yep. think podcasts like this are extremely helpful for people so thank you guys for helping so many other people because you're really you're really doing a great service thank you for listening do follow us for more such content and don't forget to leave us a feedback